have in this page of the holy uh, by A.W. Tozer. And he says this in this book, uh, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Uh, and the book is called The Knowledge of the Holy. Once again, he says, the, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And perhaps this morning, we haven't really been thinking about God. Uh, maybe there, I, I'm assuming there's something uh, that we've been thinking a lot about this week. Uh, but really, Christians, brothers and sisters, what we ought to think most about is God. Uh, because he is that big, uh, and he, uh, he influenced every, every part of our lives. And uh, certainly, uh, the sphere in which he impacts grows as we continue to mature in the faith. But just the depth and, and the, the intensity, so to say, of how he uh, impacts and influences our lives, it deepens. It deepens. So again, this morning, if we were to kind of think about that, uh, what do you think about when you think about your God? Uh, growing up, I thought him, thought of God as more of a philosophical concept. Uh, the combination of like a, a creepy policeman and a, a, uh, and a uh, uh, what do you call, just giving vending machine, so to say. Uh, creepy policeman, what do I mean by that? It's like, like a police who constantly watches me uh, if I'm breaking the law or above the speed limit. Uh, I always thought that that's what God was doing to me. He was always, look, if I'm doing something wrong, I would have to pay the fine, so to say. Uh, but also, on the other hand, a vending machine in a sense where, you know, whenever I thought I did good, you know, God, I should deserve this. You know, my prayer should be answered in this way. So if you kind of think about that, and my, my understanding of God was very, like, it's a concept. It wasn't really a being that has will, volition, emotion, that we, as we see through Scripture, uh, but it was just a concept. Uh, now, where that started to break down was uh, my, my lack of understanding of God uh, was starting to be challenged as I was growing up and being challenged with different circumstances, situations, and no longer that was working. Really, is, is that all about God? And furthermore, I began to really uh, think about this question more when uh, I would be encountered with the question, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? So this morning, who is Jesus Christ to you, brothers and sisters? Is he just someone that you think about on this given Sunday? Or is he someone that, even though we may have panicked and fear, uh, he's always right there? We've been looking at the Gospel of John and seeing kind of the encounters that Jesus personally has with men and women of the Bible. Uh, specifically, we looked at John the Baptist. We looked at uh, a Samaritan woman that he encounters. And also, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at his encounter with an invalid uh, who was paralyzed for 38 years. Uh, today, we're going to ongo uh, this uh, study in John 5 and see the, co the conversation, this dialogue that is going between the Jews and Jesus. So let's turn with me. Uh, let's look at John chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. John chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. Uh, if you're there, can I get an amen? amen. All right, let's read together. Let's, let's just read it together. Ready, set, go. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. 
For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Amen. Uh, we need to kind of understand the context of this passage, of this dialogue. So this dialogue is happening between Jews and Jesus uh, after Jesus heals this invalid man who was paralyzed for 38 years. So, you know, this man was uh, unable to walk. Uh, for 38 years, Jesus heals him. Uh, and if we're of the sound mind, uh, this should be something to be rejoicing in, uh, very happy over, right? Yes, yes, we're of sound mind, <laughs> right? But uh, the Jews' response is very different. They're actually very angry and indignant uh, towards Jesus. Uh, they actually persecute Jesus. Why? Why? It's because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, which was, to their understanding, a day that no one should have worked. No work should be done. And the Pharisees show by their actions and their lives through even this moment, the Jews show in this moment uh, what they knew about God was very small. They knew about, a lot about the Torah, their laws, but their understanding of God was very small. Because if they really understood God, then they should have understood Jesus. They should have embraced, accepted Jesus. Again, they, they knew the law, but here we see proven through their interactions, the Jews' interactions with Jesus, uh, they really didn't know God. Uh, we mentioned talking about like the spirit of the law and the intent of the law. Right? Uh, when we just abide by this book and not really know God and our hearts not growing for God, we just become like these Jews as we see in this context. Right? Just We may be very good, on paper it looks good, hey, he you know, seems to abide by this, this, this. But you and I know there has to be heart transformation that takes place. So Jesus comes to these people, these Jews, who are blinded to the purpose of God, blinded to Jesus' identity, and he, he speaks and dialogues with them. You and I, we too must have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And again, I'm not talking about just when we, you know, when we, were first bap or when we went through baptism class or uh, whatever, but daily, brothers and sisters. Amen? We need daily encounter with Jesus. Amen? Let us pray for that daily. God, encounter me today. 
So this morning, we see from this passage a couple of things that I want to kind of break down. First point is this. Um, yeah, if you look at verse 18, uh, we kind of see a little bit more how the Jews were feeling towards Jesus and why, right? They were angry. Why? They wanted to kill him. Why? Because not only broke the Sabbath, but Jesus calling himself God, right? So that was what was ang- angered them. But what we see in today's passage is this. Jesus humbly obeys the Father, okay? Jesus humbly obeys God the Father. We can see that in verse 19. Jesus says what? Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son, referring to himself, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. You know, when we read that, it may seem like, well, is it, it sounds like Jesus is not powerful. Is it because he's weak? He can't do anything? Uh, absolutely not. Is it because Jesus doesn't have a will, a volition, an emotion? Is he like a philosophical concept? Uh, that I thought uh, God was? No, absolutely not. What Jesus models to us is humble dependency and humble submission and what that looks like. That's what Jesus shows. Jesus shows that life is not about seeking one's own will, but seeking God's will. When you look at verses uh, 19 and on, 19, 20, 21, 22, Really, I want us to look at the text. You'll notice Jesus uses four fours, okay? Uh, four fours, F-O-R, right? In verse 19, the second half, he says, for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. In verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Now, when we're studying, uh, you know, repetition, when we see that, we should underline it, circle it. Okay, what's going on? That helps us understand this a little bit more. So in this context, Jews are angry against Jesus because he was calling himself God. And remember, their understanding of God was very revered. Right? Cannot go into the Holy of Holies until right sacrifice, right cleansing rituals were done. So now, he, Jesus comes into the scene and he says, you know, as my father's working, so I'm working. What? Who is this guy to call himself son of God, let alone God? Right? Again, our struggle today, I think, is more so we don't really value and honor and revere God as he should be ought to. Right? I mean, we, we, we know that Jesus is son of God and we call him God, but our reverence towards God is low, perhaps. But what Jesus is showing is that These signs are certainly proving that I am the Son of God. I am divine. That's what Jesus is saying. But he is also showing that you may think that means I get to do whatever I want. Power means control, dominance. But what Jesus shows is that the Son of God is submitting. Power, uh, all this, is not to serve inwardly, but to humbly serve others, to submit if you think about that, that's very countercultural to today's world, our way of thinking. Back then, even today, is it not? When we think of people of position, of influence, when we you know, get a promotion, we, uh, we may have the tendency of using that for our own self-gain. You know, now I've accomplished all this, now I deserve this. Brothers and sisters, I think Jesus would flip that upside down, saying, hey, now you're going to suffer more, you're going to serve harder, and you're going to be at the foot of others. I think that's the kind of 
message he would give us today, as we even see in today's context, is it not? And again, our understanding of really what we think, man, I, I want to you know, grow up and mature so that I can now do things on my own self. You know, I don't have people telling me what to do. I tell people what to do. That is not what we see in the Christian faith. In fact, what we see is as we mature and grow in faith, as we become more and more like Christ, we become more dependent, more dependent upon God. We become like babies. God, I cannot go without you. And again, to the world and maybe on the surface, it may seem like, what? That sounds like they're not growing any stronger, but it's not. Because to do that, you and I know you got to break your pride and ego. Do you, don't you? Don't you? I, I think so. So what Jesus is teaching and showing is very countercultural, right? Again, we have to really examine our lives and hearts. Do we understand and do we live our lives like that? Are we growing in that way? Do we see Christ-likeness in our lives in the way we are submitting and obeying God's will? Are we in positions of leadership and influence, but are we seeing that as a position of not to teach and tell all the other peoples to do, but to serve, to listen, to submit to God all the more? Because that's what we see through Jesus' life. Jesus humbly obeys God the Father. And so if we ought to follow Jesus, we ought to humbly obey Jesus, the Son. Second thing we see in verse 20 to 23 is this, God the Father delights and loves His Son. Uh, seeing Jesus' submission to the Father, I don't do my own will, but I do the Father's will. You know, none of us would be surprised, why does God the Father love the Son so much? Right? We say, yeah. Uh, the love between God the Father and the Son, I don't know if this is something that we think about very often, but I think we should. Why? Because when we understand our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have to know who He is, what His affections, what His desires are, what His will is. And when we look at the relationship between the Father and the Son, there's great love. There's great love. There's great delight, great harmony, great pleasure. And perhaps it's not something that we can tangibly say, oh, I think God, uh, you know, God the Father loves X amount, and Jesus loves God the Father X amount. We can't quantify it. But love is an action, is it not? So we can see through Jesus' response to the Father and the Father's response to the Son how much love that they share with one another. What's the Son's love for the Father? It's seen that the Son perfectly obeys and submits to the Father's will. That's what he says, right? And that's what he does. He submits to the point of going to Calvary to die for sinners because that was the will of God and the covenant promise of God. How about the Father? We look at verse 21 and 20, uh, all the way to 23, just how much the Father delights in the Son. Let's look at verse 21 to 23. Can you read there with me? Let's read together. Uh, ready, set, go. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. 
The Father loves the Son to the extent to give Him authority to raise the dead and give life. Jesus has the authority to raise the dead and give life, just as the Father does. But also, He has the authority to judge. Jesus is given the divine authority by the Father as His beloved Son. The ultimate purpose of all of this is what? So that the Son would be honored. In other words, God the Father shares His supreme glory with His Son. And by this, we get to see a picture of how much God the Father loves the Son. Why should you and I worship Jesus Christ? Because God is what God the Father wants. Because that He is whom the Father perfectly loves and perfectly delights in. Jesus Christ displays humble obedience and dependence upon the Father. And as we are Jesus' followers, we too follow this life of submission and humility and obedience. Now, if you kind of put these two points together, I think it's this. Uh, God the Father and God the Son display perfect love and harmony through the Son's obedience and the Father's good pleasure to share His glory with His Son. There's so much delight and love going right there. And, you know, when we think about the harmony and unity that exists between the Father and the Son, and obviously I haven't talked about the Holy Spirit, uh, but He's in that too. Holy Spirit is the one who reveals, right? The work that the Father-Son does, it cannot be understood by men, uh, man and woman, without the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. So there, again, even the Holy Spirit worked perfect triune, right? One God, three persons. But when we think about that and when we think about this world, when we think about our lives, there should be a very big stark contrast, right? There's a huge stark contrast between my life and God. I think that's where, when we look at, you guys remember the gospel bracelets? You know, it's yellow, you know, beautiful, majestic. And then what's the next color? Black. Representing sin, rebellion, right? hatred, discord. Uh, when we look at our lives, our world, our communities, we're quite far from God. You know, I was uh, reading an article, uh, it wasn't an article, sorry. It was, uh, I, was, I was channel surfing and it was like Dr. Oz. Uh, he's like a doctor. And apparently people are using, uh, he is a legit doctor, but people are using his name uh, to s endorse some certain products uh, that this product will cure the coronavirus. And, and apparently, uh, I don't know who knows uh, people buying or whatnot, but it's crazy to think like people use fear and panic as a way for self-gain. Right? Manipulation. Right? If we're very honest with ourselves, maybe we're not to that extent, but we do manipulate, we do abuse, we do get things our own way or try to at least make it, right? I see that in my heart. But again, stark contrast between God who is so mighty and good and us who are so broken and battered. 
And I want us to really think about that, brothers and sisters, without it just, okay, Jesus loves us, but it's okay, let's jump there. But I think it's this, because when we are desperate for Jesus, we have a more accurate understanding of God's righteousness and holiness, His reverence, but also really are accurate with where we're at. But again, we don't just stay there. Praise the Lord. Because 24 and 29, Jesus is speaking to Jews who did not understand truly who God was, what his plans were, what his will is. And he comes to them and speaks to them. Let's look at verse 24 to 29. Okay, let's read together. Ready, set, go. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear him will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Here, when Jesus makes the statement, truly, truly, uh, in Greek it's amen, 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 amen. And we often say amen after a prayer to say, so be it. Uh, We agree, we accept. Lord, please do this. We endorse it together. But when Jesus states these comments, Uh, What he says with amen, 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 what he is saying is, I authorize and I testify that what I say is final and true. So pay attention. That's what he's saying. And from what we see, we see why we ought to cling on to Jesus. We must daily abide and daily trust and daily walk with him. Why? Because in him is eternal life. Amen? Amen? In him is eternal life, amen? But this is not just a ticket to heaven. I get to get away from this world and into what's next. Absolutely, that's true. But this eternal life applies to us even today. Jesus meets with us even today. He is the one who God the Father gave authority to judge, to raise from the dead, to give eternal life, to give hope in the midst of darkness and difficulty. He gives us instruction and wisdom what it is that we need to guard our hearts in and not be so wavered by the circumstance. He teaches us to love one another, care for one another. He empowers us to do that through the indwelling spirit in us. So this is why we look at what Jesus says when he says, truly, truly, I speak to you. Jesus is our Savior no matter what we go through. Amen? Again, God the Father and the Son display the perfect love and harmony. And yet, the Father did not withhold His Son from us. God the Father did not withhold His Son from us, brothers and sisters. Rather, He sends, as John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He sent His own and only Son. But the Son does not remain by the Father's side. But he comes to this world, the word becoming flesh, humbly obeying the Father's will, and that eventually, even to the cross, he chooses to go to the cross so that sinners 
would not be judged to eternal hell for the payment of their sins, but so that we, the sinners, can be forgiven and brought into eternal life. Hallelujah. We are no longer people eternally affected by the sins of our past. We are no longer people who are eternally affected by the judgment of others. We are no longer people eternally affected by the condemnation that comes from Satan. All because of what Jesus has done. I want us to turn to Romans 8, 31 to 39. Can we turn there, brothers and sisters? Romans 8, 31 to 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. Let's all read together. Okay, ready, set, go. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise be to our God. Amen. Church, in response to God's great redeeming love, uh, we are people who are sinners, but now made saints. We are called to walk in obedience to God's will. Uh, Let us respond together in this season of life as we Uh, face all that's going on personally, communally, uh, nationwide, the world, in these two ways. First is this, let us live in humble obedience to God's will. If we follow Jesus Christ, who humbly obeys God's will, we ought to also humbly obey God's will. Uh, Gospel demands all of our lives. Again, obedience is not just coming to church. If you came because you wanted to obey God, praise the Lord. That's awesome, brothers and sisters. I'm here too. Not because Yonhap Church hired me, but I believe God called me to come here and preach. Amen? I believe our praise team is declaring the powerful name of Jesus. Because not because I asked them to, uh, but because they are here, because they represent God. Amen? Amen, praise team? Amen. <laughs> you know, it's God's, uh, just not just Sundays, not just CG times. Uh, it's not just when things are great, just as our brothers share. Right? Every single moment. God, I want to obey you. I believe this is an opportune moment for all of us, especially in our local church, to really carry this out. I believe if we can do it now, it'll be easy the days to come. Why? Because we don't, uh, you know, locally we, we don't have a senior pastor, right? We have coronavirus knocking at the doorsteps, right? All of this. But in these moments, we choose to continue to seek God's will. We continue to obey God's will. 
And though we, we may be kind of a little bit affected by the circumstance, ultimately our hearts are not hindered, right? Why? Because we remember that Jesus Christ goes with us, and He it is that overcome the world, right? John 16.33, oh, I don't have that, but John 16.33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, in Jesus have peace, not because circumstances are great, because our families are doing so well, our church is booming and whatever. In Jesus, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Now, some of us, you know, humble obedience, I want to do that. I want to do that, Josh. But what is God's will for my life? You know, oftentimes when we ask that question, we're asking, God, what is your tailor-made, specific, that applies to me? What is that kind of will for me? Like, what is, show me that will. But again, Jesus shows that will for our lives is to obey His plans, His work. We do what He does. We don't do things according to our own plans, our own court, but we do according to His ways. He calls us to live for His glory and worship Him. He calls, he calls us to obey the Word, build up the church. He calls us to preach and share the gospel. Uh, one more passage I want us to turn to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 through 18. And perhaps this is uh, God's Word that we can just really meditate upon uh, as we wake up each morning. What do you want me to do this morning? What do you want me to do today, God? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 through 18. Fear can I get an amen? Okay, let's read together. Ready, set, go. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen. God made it very clear. His will is not hidden or hard to find. It's right there. Oh, I had it up here. Okay. Uh, next, last point, and we'll close. But brothers and sisters, let us give our utmost honor and worship to Jesus Christ. Um, I think... And I'm always blessed to be able to worship with our community uh, because I, I just love our praise time, first and foremost. Uh, but it helps me to really, again, align my heart. What is most important? What is that which I can never forget? And that is God deserves worship in all circumstances, situations. Why? Because of who He is. But as I worship these songs, I don't know about y'all, like, but I get these flashbacks of God's goodness to me. Right? He's, and I'm like, man, God, I'm sorry this week that I forgot this. But brothers and sisters, God will continue to be faithful because He is faithful even when we are faithless. But because God's abundant love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit just overflows. It overflows to this world and all of us. So this morning, today, we may be here. Tomorrow, who knows who we'll be, right? Um, but no matter what, worship should not be situational. Worship should not be a, a physical thing. Worship is when we see Jesus Christ, and that is worship. 
remember someone telling me, hey, good worship doesn't make good worshipers. Good worship doesn't make good worshipers. It's good worshipers who make good worship. If you're a good worshiper, wherever you worship, whoever you worship with, that worship will be amazing. Okay? Uh, to, it's like, okay, I'm going to try good worship. What does that mean? It means this. It's intimacy with the Lord. When you have oneness and intimacy with God, when you understand who He is, when you're in, in just sheer love for Him, worship just comes, flows out. And that's what we're saying, right? People who are in tune with the Lord daily, their worship, wherever they are, is powerful. It's Christ-exalting. And I pray for that, for me, for you, whatever season we face. Amen? I mentioned what we think, uh, A.W. Tozer quote, what we think about God is the most important thing. And may this week, may we really think about his beauty and goodness and faithfulness uh, for forever he will reign. Let's pray together.